Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. I am hosting this week and I am Tom and I am joined this week just by Chris. Hiya. Stu is still on his jollies. He is on his holly bobs. He is indeed. But Chris and I are here and we have plenty to get through. Um, There's investment news, there's new entries, there's budget cap, the most exciting thing in the world. (laughs) It's a very newsy Monday actually. Exactly. It's it's good for us because usually we do this, then first thing Tuesday morning all this news comes out. So thankfully people are feeling sorry for us and they've started releasing it a little bit earlier. <laughs> so we get, we got a few bits to go through. Obviously look ahead to Australia. Uh, Austria? I nearly said Australia then. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not that one. A uh, little bit of predictions and even some inbox later. So lots to get through. Um, Chris, do you want to run through some of the news? I can do that. I mean, if you've been paying attention to headlines today, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking that Ryan Reynolds has bought Alpine in its entirety and is about to move the team to Wrexham and (laughs) welcome to Endstone. He's coming soon to Disney+. Plus. I mean, the reality is still kind of out of nowhere and wild. Like, I've not even seen a hint of this. Yeah, Tommy's holding up the F1 breaking news with a picture of Ryan Reynolds in the place they normally put, like, a driver announcement. Yeah, it's I mean, so it literally weird. reads, F1 breaking, Ryan Reynolds by stake in Alpine. I mean, technically he has. Technically he has, yeah. but it's like a... Consortium's probably the wrong word for it, but... There's like actual capital investment groups involved in yeah. it as well. And it's one of the headlines I saw that I shared with you earlier was, um, oh, what was it? Something like Alpine, Alp, Alpine sells up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, 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 they haven't. They sold 24% uh, for what is it? 200 million euros. Yeah. And it's to a group of either capital investors or, you know, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. but <laughs> basically, yeah, um, yeah. As you say, two hundred million euro for a twenty-four percent stake, and that is in Alpine, the F one team, not any part of Renault, and it doesn't include yeah. any of the uh, power unit side of stuff that's based in uh, Viri. Uh, so yeah, it's an investment group. It's formed of the generically named, as these things always are. Auto Capital, Redbird Capital Partners, and Maximum Effort Investments. Um, and <laughs> the Maximum it. Effort Investments bit, that's the bit that Ryan Reynolds is kind of heavily uh, involved with, basically. I love the the naming of that one, just on the basis that, like, are you going to have, like... I, I want to start one now just called Half-Arsed Investments. <laughs> like, <laughs> just for irony, it's like... I mean, they're not my, they're not my best investments. These are, these are my Maximum Effort ones. These are my half-arsed ones. I just have like two different companies. Corporate logo is just the shrug emoji. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> um, so yeah, so as as part of that investment group, it includes Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, who obviously are also the Rex MFC owners now, uh, and also Michael B. Jordan, who you will know yes. from Black Panther and the uh, Creed films and various other things. Um, he's great, actually. I'm a big fan of his. But yes. that's an aside. Um, so yeah, so this kind of investment group in various parts have been involved to 
varying degrees with uh, Liverpool FC, AC Milan, uh, Boston Red Sox, Dallas Cowboys. Like they're just one of these investment companies that does a lot of sports team stuff. Um, obviously, the deal values the team as a whole uh, uh, just over eight hundred million euro, which is about seven hundred million quid, nine hundred million dollars, which is a pretty healthy investment for a team of their position. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Obviously, like the Ryan Reynolds thing is what's called the headlines. Um, and I think the so there's a quote from Luca De Mayo, who's the Renault Group CEO, which I think says it all. He said, among lots of corporate speak, he said, forming one on Alpine are strategic assets for Renault Group. This partnership will accelerate Alpine F1 development by diversifying revenue drivers and increasing brand value, which is a roundabout way of saying having people like Ryan Reynolds and Rob Malkenny and Michael B. Jordan on board is going to be really great for marketing, essentially. Yeah. And removes some need for paid drivers and we're like i'm getting that's how i read into a little bit um yeah like but, i mean it's they, not they like really they're short of drivers cash. at the minute anyway so yeah, yeah. They're, they're not a team that's short of cash obviously any team is gonna enjoy some investment but it's not like smaller teams that are very much reliant on this kind of investment but obviously yeah. it's nice to have um, but yeah, ultimately, it is, I think, bringing in people who are very good at marketing sports teams. And it's going to be really interesting to see what this means in reality. Um, do, we, do we know what the official name of the entity that they're buying into? Is it Alpine Formula One? It's something like... It's, it might as well be that. It's something like that. Um Okay. It, it it basically means the team that run the F- and build the F one cars that are based in Enstone. That's essentially what they've bought into. Um, yeah, like Enstone Formula One, essentially. Basically, the yes. Enstone team. Yeah, yeah. I just wondered if like this. Obviously, it's not like a controlling ownership or anything like that. It's, but it would make me ponder. Like, is there some sort of rebrand? come in will we see bwt for much longer like you know just yeah all those kind of things because i can imagine that some of these people might bring in very different sponsorship opportunities um and very specific brands i mean you only have to look at some of the some of the brands that sponsor a team like wrexham now yes admittedly a couple of them ryan reynolds has personal interest in but overall just the the different brand opportunities that that brings. I'd be interested to see how long like BWT remains a title sponsor based on this. Yeah. I certainly imagine you're going to start seeing things like Aviation Gin and all of those brands starting to turn upon the yeah. car. Um, they're certainly not about to rebrand the team. Like and They talked a lot about this is part of them pushing Alpine forward as a brand. I mean, that should probably build more than one car because Alpine literally mm. produces a single model of car at the moment. But they've got yeah. like three or four coming in the next year or two, I think, and they're leaning into like the electric sports car market. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating and so unlike what we've seen really done before. I don't remember a sort of comparable kind of investment in an F1 team before. 
Yeah, and part part of me wishes it was a little bit more like the headlines are trying to sell it as, if I'm honest. Like, it mm. is very cool, but yeah, there's a part of me there that wants somebody as an individual or like a, a you know a collection of individuals to like properly buy into a team and have what would feel like a true privateer almost again like yeah. you know a, a person run team a per, like someone with their own money on the line and their own investment on the line and a proper desire to do it like we don't have that anymore really i think one of the closest things to that is probably at mclaren maybe yeah with zach brown maybe because he's that, obviously yes, as close as we've got he's like a long-term motorsport fan in general car fan and it's his investments and you know his money that's in mclaren as a whole not just the f1 team so but yeah, I, I, I do I, I do hope we can get back to somebody being close to that at least at some point one day. Yeah. Probably not in the near future though. <laughs> <laughs> not with what it costs now anyway. Yeah, I did see someone say um if they think running a football team is expensive, they haven't seen anything yeah. yet. But but yeah. I mean, you've only gotta look at the way they have taken Wrexham and basically turned them into like a globally known brand now like yep which is a thing lp need like i would say the average person on the street at best will have heard about alpine tangentially through them having an f1 team but like they're not a well-known car brand again having more than one model of car would help that but like <laughs> that's got to be the main thing they're looking at here is to expand that brand and make it into a thing people have heard of and people want yeah yeah, agreed. Uh, moving on, um, we've got another confirmation of a, a new team um, application for the 2026 grid. And we sort of talked about this as a rumor before, but it's been confirmed now that High Tech Grand Prix have uh, applied for a place on the 2026 F1 grid. So they currently run teams in F2, F3, and loads of like regional F4 series. Um, it's no coincidence that this announcement has come alongside news that uh, the parent company that owns High Tech Grand Prix have sold a 25% stake to a Kazakhstani businessman called Vladimir Kim. And he is one of the richest people in that country. He's got an estimated wealth of $5 billion. So the fact that they are now also applying for an F1 team is no coincidence. Um so they're currently running uh, Red Bull Juniors in F2, Isaac Hajar and Jack Crawford. And then in F3, they've kind of got a bit of everything in F3. They've got Sebastian Montoya, who's a Red Bull Junior, um, Gabrielle Miney, who is a Alpine Junior, and Luke Browning, who is a Williams Junior. <laughs> so sort of having a bit of everything. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though. Um, I mean, they're one of those names that have been around in feeder series for years and years aren't they yeah um 2002 i believe they were founded so yeah but in a long time now yeah i mean they've never had i don't think they've won a title 
in F2 or F3, if I remember Ooh, rightly. You'd be testing me. I'm I'm never good with the constructors' titles. Scrolling down. I don't um, think they have. Scrolling um, down the Wikipedia page, the best I can see is a third in um the third in F3 currently, which is on track for being their best sort of season results. So they're yeah. not they're not like a prima level of junior series team, but uh, yeah, you know. Also, does junior series success necessarily translate or not? I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, we've seen teams like um, Manor come and try and do yeah. it, and it's obviously it's a very different kettle of fish once yeah. you're in Formula One. Um, I mean, for those newer or that don't remember the name at Manor Motorsport, it's what became very quickly Virgin F1, didn't it? it was Got backed by Richard Branson, then became Russia, and then disappeared. Didn't have any other names, I don't think. Or if it did, they it was weird briefly combinations. Briefly gone back to Manor just before they yeah. disappeared. I think for um, so like they were they were always quite good in lower formula. I mean, they won British Formula Four Championship with Lewis Hamilton in the car, if I remember rightly. Yes, they won something That's with actually- Lewis. And yeah. I, I know the majority of these things and had an affinity to them because they're quite local to me. <laughs> but, yeah. But that's that's a different story for another time. But that is a, like a case in point of how um, it doesn't always transition well uh, into immediate success or, you know, good running uh, for a team as soon as they move up. So the investment from uh, this uh, Kazakhstani businessman will... Uh, go down quite well, I think, in at least helping them get settled a lot quicker. Yeah, for sure. Um, and regulation changes will help as well, I guess. You know, that's why these applications are 2026 and beyond, isn't it? Because of the the changes with the power units and so on. Yeah, and I mean, the 2026 regulations were all about attracting new power unit manufacturers and new teams. And on those measures, like you've got to say they're already a success. Like we're going to have the most power unit manufacturers that we have in years and years come 2026. From what we've heard, there's at least three, possibly four new team applications. It seems yeah. like, um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be exciting. 2026. So not that far off now either. It's, no, uh, I mean, we're here before we know it two seasons and then we're there yeah um there's been some interesting comments from the fia president kind of related to this as well and regarding new team applications um so obviously in the past we've had uh stefano dominicali who is the f1 president basically say he doesn't think we need new teams tennis plenty and we know how much a lot of existing teams have pushed back but um Mohamed Ben Suyaram, the FYI president, basically said in an interview, um, when you're talking about the expression of interest, there are still regulations there and we cannot shut the application down and say no because we've had another choice and we cannot say no to them if they fulfill the application, which is a long-winded way of basically saying like, if a team applies and fulfills all of our criteria, we're not going to break our own rules and just reject them because we feel like it. Like he seems to be essentially <laughs> saying if teams apply and they tick all the boxes, we're going to let them in regardless, yeah. which is the polar opposite of what F1 and teams are saying. 
which is yeah. unsurprising. Um, they're continuing kind of war of words they seem to be having. But I, mean, I don't have any issue with new teams coming in and trying. like, And especially the kind of names that have been banded around as well. Like high-tech seem yeah. like they could be a good one. Obviously, we've got Andretti Cadillac, which seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, overall, it's... You want the doors open to as many teams as possible, realistically, don't you? That's that's the crux of it. Um, yeah. Like, it should be... Like, even if you had more applications and there are spaces on the grid based on, like, what the capacity is, for example, I'd rather be in that position where teams actually have to go through an application process and, you know, only four out of five of these applications can technically make it. I think that um, that that's kind of verging on exciting times for Formula One is the fact that you're suddenly in a position where there's now more teams applying than there's technically space for in the, yeah. in the regulations, which would be an interesting thing to see how they handle, I guess, as well. Plus, it's also more seats for young drivers, especially exactly. if a team like High Tech, assuming High Tech would continue to run their F2 and F3 and many F4 teams as well. Yeah. Like, suddenly you've got this direct path through junior series into a seat within the same team, which could be a huge thing for a lot of young drivers because yeah. it feels like every year we see two or three drivers come out of F2 that deserve a shot at F1 and one at best of them seems to get the chance. So that can only be a good thing as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last little bit of newsy stuff this week. We're back to the exciting world of budget caps. <laughs> um, the FIA have released a new technical directive to basically clarify what counts as an F1 activity and what counts as a non-F1 activity. Um, because obviously there's budget cap implications of what falls under what category. Um, so for example, Mercedes have got Mercedes Applied Science and that division has been used to develop tech for America's Cup, the sailing race. Um, Red Bull Advanced Technologies, they're working on their new hypercar and they also exist as a supplier to Alpha Terry, which is kind of a weird way of doing things mclaren obviously have got loads of different motorsport and their road car division aston martin recently set up their own what they call it performance technologies division and although it's been stressed that there's no suggestion that anybody is breaking any rules with this and it's purely a (laughs) clarification like the fia don't make these clarifications if they don't feel that they are necessary um and essentially what it comes down to is teams have been given a list of this is what you're allowed. These are the kind of things you're allowed to exclude from the budget cap. These are the things that you very much aren't. Um, I don't think we are privy to exactly what that list contains, but they obviously think teams are very much pushing the boundaries with this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... I, I, it's, I guess it's like kind of part of F1 to some degree is that element of how much can we get away with without officially being over a line 
Absolutely, um, yeah. I think I've got a lot more respect for it when it comes to technical innovation than financial, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd much rather them spend the right amount of money but have like a little bit of a questionable piece of aero that's like a, <laughs> well, we found like a, like literally like a black hole in the car. Like how many times has that come out over the years that someone's found like a little area that's like somehow been completely unregulated so they can yeah. put what they want there and like the FIA, like, doy, how, like how have we, <laughs> how have we let this happen? Like that's the kind of rule bending, I guess, and limit pushing that, I'll always have time for the financial stuff, definitely less so, but it's if there's not a, a, a hard line of a stopping point, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's going to happen. Yeah. It's like you say, it's just kind of part of the game. It's, it's the way they do things mm. and you have to have these things to um, rein them in as best you can. Yeah. Agreed on that. Um, that that's about it for news, I think, isn't it? This week it is really. I mean, yeah, we've we've covered the the big talking points, so I'm sure there'll be more tomorrow once we've hit stop on of this, course. as there always is. Um, so let's look ahead a little bit to Austria this weekend. So some storylines going into the weekend. Uh, number one being, will this be any good? Being the second sprint race of the year. Um, it's not like it's the f- first time we've had a sprint race in Austria. So we're sort of used to it, I guess. I feel like it was one of the better ones last year, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I think the sprint races the the sprint race that we had in Austria kind of gave it the maybe these sprint things won't be so bad if they fine tune them. I think it was one of those that I feel like kind of um, I was going to say I don't even know what word I was going to say then but <laughs> whatever that word is I'm thinking of I'll let you all try and fill the gap it like vindicated <laughs> I guess that's maybe the word I'm looking for Like, yeah. it vindicated the idea of this could be something you know interesting um, but you obviously don't see it all the time do you that's that's the main problem and what's the point if it's only certain circuits that it works at and so on so but yeah your your thoughts on it as a sprint weekend chris you know overall yeah i mean so they're keeping the format they did in baku with the two separate qualifying sessions and the mm-hmm. sprint and the race being separate events which far from perfect but i prefer that to the previous version of it for sure um, yeah and yeah, I like it's. I think this is just a better suited circuit for it. I kind of, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like doing some sim racing, and so many of the newer F one tracks just seem to be getting longer and longer and having more and more corners. You know, you're getting tracks with like twenty odd corners, and then you go to somewhere like I was. I was driving a race at Austria, and it's just like it's barely over a minute's lap. There's like Officially, I think there's like 10 or 11 corners, but like eight of them are actually real corners. Yeah. They're all great. At least three of them are overtaking spots. So you just have that many more laps to hit a race distance and you're just hitting these great corners, these great overtaking spots over and over again. Whereas if you've got a two-minute lap on a 20-odd 
corner circuit, you're just not getting to those good parts of the track as often over a race distance. So yeah. for a sprint, I think a short track like this suits it way better. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I never, I never kind of thought about it like that about it being about the track length, but it is it is a good point. Like, I mean, as soon as you started saying it, I sort of like, I was like, yep, I agree. Because it, you know, when you think about it, it it becomes more obvious that you know that's the case. Um, yeah, I think, like when I was, I was racing there over the weekend, and I was like, didn't quite pull off an overtake, and I was like, oh, it's fine, I'll be back here in like a minute's time and have yeah. another go at it. I was like, wait a second. I think when, I mean, obviously, no, not many of them, if any, uh, up to, um, like, what is it? It's grade grade A. Is it? I forgot what the grading system is now. For me, A or one? I can't remember which yeah. one they do. The the correct grading for safety <laughs> and and stuff for Formula One, but. Like when you look at sort of national level circuits, that things like uh, DTM and touring cars and like you know the, those kind of levels, or like regional Formula Series, the number of circuits they race on that provide really good racing that if they could get upgraded, would probably provide the yeah. same sort of experience that Austria still does would be really interesting to see. Like, I don't know, a circuit that sort of springs to mind for this is something like Zolder. Like, I love racing at Zolder in, in yeah. sim sim games, and I feel like that's the kind of older school circuit that maybe with the right upgrades could provide some really interesting racing because of those combinations of, like, being a slightly shorter lap and having you know, heavy braking zones into overtaking opportunities. Like, probably might be might be a bad example for Formula 1, I guess, because some of those chicanes would probably be quite, like, clumsy for a Formula yeah. 1 car. They'd be pretty tight. But, I mean, just in general, like, I think circuits of that older vibe, we maybe need more coming back to the calendar. Oh, we've said this before, though, haven't we? We don't want any more yeah. new street circuits. Banging that drum again. Yeah, so... We've done, we've done it again. We found a way to somehow do it again. I'm going to move on to the next storyline. Will the pack be closer to Red Bull again this weekend? Yeah, like, obviously their advantage seemed a lot smaller in Canada. Like on race pace anyway. Um, was that a fluke? Was that the circuit? Was that Red Bull just playing it easy? I know, we'll see. Again, over a really short lap, um, I think the qualifying gap is going to be minuscule this weekend. Um, yeah. but... I'm excited for the qualifying more than anything, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the, no matter what the races have been like, qualifying has been pretty much awesome every weekend, right? Oh, it's been. It, this has been one of the best seasons for qualifying, I yeah. think I remember. Like the qualifying sessions feel, I mean, they never felt dull, but they do actually feel exciting at this point, um, which I'm really, really happy with. To be honest, I'm happy with like how entertaining those Saturdays are compared to where they have been in the last couple of seasons. Because it used to be like two or three times a season, I guess, that you'd get like those qualifying sessions, whereas. At the moment, it feels like it's pretty much every race that's 
you know, throwing out interesting occurrences during qualifying. I yeah. guess the only the only gripe here is that going back to that sprint format that half of the world probably won't be able to watch it live because it's the Friday again, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's 4pm Friday UK time. Yeah. Still don't understand why that session is not the the quick session for sprint qualifying. Yeah. Like it should... That's my main gripe with this format. I, I, I think I said it last time we talked about it after the after Baku. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with splitting it up. If anything, it could be it, quite a good idea to split them up. But I really wish that if they were going to have to do something on a Friday, it was there was like a, a live active session, kind of like a meaningful session. Let's call it. I wish it was the the sprint quality that's a little bit less of the part of the focal point like in terms of hierarchy it's the grand prix should be your main highlight the qualifying for said grand prix should be second anything else should be added bonus i guess um so yeah yeah you could uh, easily swap the two qualies around and have yeah sprint quality on a friday evening main qualifying saturday morning sprint yeah. saturday afternoon there's no reason why yeah. you couldn't do that exactly so We'll keep petitioning for it. <laughs> um, and then another storyline for this weekend. Uh, will McLaren's upgrades do what they need them to? Yeah, so that McLaren be kind of sprinkling upgrades over a few races, but it seems like this is going to be some of the more major ones, like the biggest set in Wonga, we think, this weekend. Um, yep. And last race, they definitely seem to have taken a bit of a step forward, as, as much as you could tell from one race. But... Yeah, they. I think. I think if we don't see a big improvement from McLaren over the next couple of races, that's kind of going to be starting to look like as much as you're going to get from them this season. Yeah, I. I mean, there's um, there's an element of the fact that like Lando's had good races here at Austria as well. I think that kind of stands out for me. Like he's had. Well, he's had two podiums here in yeah. that McLaren, uh, albeit old iterations. But you know, he's scored podiums in seasons where the car wasn't necessarily podium worthy to some degree. That first one, at least, anyway. I mean, yes, we were in a bit of a weird scenario because that was the the COVID season, um, as we'll call it. But you know, he he seems to do very well here generally speaking. So if the car's improved and he's on his usual Styrian form, then we'll hopefully see an interesting result. And it'd be good, to see, it'd be good to see Oscar run here as well, to be fair. Yeah, because he will have raced there in junior series, won't he? Yeah, he'll, he'll have some experience in the circuit, but it'd be good to see him here, like with how racy he was and how well he's kind of kept in touching distance of Lando this season. It'd be good to see them racing a semi-competitive car. So one can only hope in that regard, I think. Um, any spare-of-the-minute storylines for you to add, Chris, before we move on that you can think of? Um, what else were I looking for? Um, another good race from Williams would be nice to see. Um, I know Albon's yeah. good result was largely down to his defending, but um, both those cars will have the same upgrade this weekend. So, yeah, 
would like to see them take a step forward if possible. Yeah, I think one of mine will probably be can Alpha Tauri stop the rot basically and yeah, you know, bring anything that makes them somewhat in touch with the field. Like, I feel like they're doing nothing but going backwards at the moment. Um, Definitely. And they need to kind of get a grasp on that soon. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring anything. And if so, does it make the right difference to keep them in touching distance with the with the, um, with the the rest of the pack? Because they're, they're in danger of dropping off if they're not careful. Um, and one from the chat. Can Perez get to Q3? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I Perez very much needs hope to so. end that run, doesn't he? He needs yeah, to he get really back on does. form if he's got any hope of staying in touch. It's diff- it yeah. was difficult already, but yeah, this is uh, going to be even more difficult for him if he can't mm. get qualifying sorted. Right. That being said, let's move to some predictions. So for those of you who are newer to the show, uh, we run a league of predictions through the website at backofthegrid.com. So Chris and I are about to run through and make predictions for five elements of this weekend's Grand Prix. So we're going to predict fastest in Q3, uh, the overall winner, the first DNF, the number of finishers, and then the position of a random driver that Chris will draw in a minute when we get to it. Uh, you can head to backofthegrid.com and enter all your predictions for the same things. And as we've seen over the last couple of races... If you are good enough to get a five out of five across the board and get all five correct on the race weekend, you will win yourself a prize. Um, and yeah, we've had two in the last two. No, yeah, two in the last two. That makes sense. Um, one per race. Yeah. <laughs> so with Max's form, it feels inevitable that we're going to get a few five out of fives. This is almost like the the period where it was Hamilton, Hamilton, pretty much... <laughs> for a spell and the occasional bot has scuppered it for people um so it feels like we might be getting a few prizes this this year but we'll see (laughs) so let's go through ours first and foremost uh chris who do you think will be fastest in q3 just quickly before i start full disclosure i have already picked the random driver because i've got Stu's predictions as well so I've written oh. down the document so you can see it ahead of time as well. So I've just, I've just seen you add it. So, yeah, okay. Okay, so, all right, you give me yours and then give us Stu's and then I'll pick. Um, of, of the first two, this is the one I think is more likely to be a surprise with, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can I see someone else getting this? I'm trying to think of previous races. I'm basically stalling for time here. You're stalling. Alonso Alonso is gonna get one. Sooner or later, Alonso is gonna nick one. Will it be this weekend though? Will it be? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, it well, there's there's too many I don't know, actually me. Sorry, Alonso. <laughs> I was going to pick him just to, to just to end this. <laughs> okay, so Alonso for you. Has Stu gone with Verstappen or not? Of course he question. has. Verstappen. Um, oh, I don't know. Right. I'm going to use the hat for good this week. I normally <laughs> use my hats for bad. 
Hats for good. I'm going to say Hamilton. Hashtag hats for good. Because <laughs> for those not watching the YouTube or anything like that, I am wearing one of Lewis's many Mercedes caps that he has had over the years. If anyone can remind me which race it's from specifically, please do. Because I've forgotten I own that many now at <laughs> this point. <laughs> <laughs> right, fastest, no, not fastest, winner overall. I am going to go with Verstappen here because I I just think the race pace uh, of him and the car are both far too strong right now. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I could see him taking the fight to anyone, even if they do qualify ahead of him. Um, so, yeah, Verstappen it, it is for me. It's Verstappen all around. Yeah. Even Verstappen you, for everyone. I mean, I can't say I'm surprised by any of that. This is these kind of predictions are the things that are probably going to cost me over the course of the season because, in reality, I should be going Verstappen, Verstappen as Stu is. That will probably <laughs> pay dividends over the course of a season. However, I just have to take the risk sometimes. I just so say, it's not boring. Like I will say, last year this was one of the few races the Red Bull wasn't the fastest. True that, which is. Uh, a bliss irony with it being their home race. Yeah. So, yeah, I like, you know, I've got time for that. <laughs> um, first DNF, Chris, who do you think that'll be? Um, I can see one of the newer guys end up in the gravel. Um, Sergeant and DeVries both seem like too obvious, but mm. they're the ones I can see. I'm going to say DeVries this week. DeVries for you. Where's Stu gone on this one? Where has Stu gone? He's gone Gasly. Mm, interesting. This is a difficult one because it can be a little bit of a car killer. Like, yeah, you you do see failures here, both like power unit based and general kind of mechanical failures. Like we've had trouble with the curbs over the years and stuff like that. Mm. I'm gonna go with Bottas, Alfa Romeo. Something falling apart. That's <laughs> where I'm going. Um, and then I'm going to swing myself straight into the number of finishes so I can go first on this with you going first last time. And I'm going to say 17 finishes this weekend. How about you, Chris? I am... Hmm. I'm going to say 17 as well. That feels about right. And where has Stu gone? He's gone one more. He's going 18. Interesting. And then the random driver, as you said, was drawn earlier to allow Stu to send in some predictions. So who is it and where has Stu put them? It is Guan Yu Zhou and Stu has put him 17th. Interesting. So second to last. Feels a little low to me. I do think that that is maybe not quite reflective of where the car is at the moment like if he he's gonna he's gonna beat the alpha tower is 
and he's quite possibly going to be one of the Hasses, if not both of them. And um, I'd say one of the Williams, if not both as well. Yeah. So it's all going to be about who DNFs in that regard. So with me having three DNFs and one of them being his teammate, I'm going to go 14th. I think 14 feels right in that lot for me. How about you? I will go 13th. There we have it. That is our predictions for this weekend's Grand Prix. As I said earlier, head to backofthegrid.com if you want to get involved. Always worth doing, even if you've not been with us all season, just because if you get all five right on a weekend, you will win a prize. With that being said, I'm going to move us over to Inbox. Is that all right with you, Chris? Let's Inbox. Keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. All right, first one this week from Blaze2010. Hey, man, with silly season fast approaching, who's going to be left without a seat when the music stops? Secondly, with uh, Aston Martin F1 going to Honda Power, do you think they might may try to commission Honda to make motors for their road cars? Um, okay, two questions in one there, isn't there? Let's Let's tackle the first bit first. Let's tackle... Musical yeah. chairs and so I, silly season. I can tell you who's without a contract next year. Shoot. Let's, um, let's, let's do that first. So Red Bull, both drivers are locked in. McLaren, both drivers locked in. Ferrari are as well, as are Alpine. So Bottas has got a contract, but Joe doesn't. Okay. Um, technically, Aston Martin have only confirmed Alonso, but we know <laughs> Strolls are going to be there. Haas have only confirmed Magnussen. We don't think Hulkenberg has got more than a one-year deal. Um, Hamilton, we know, hasn't signed a contract yet, but he's going to be there. Um, Albon is going to be there. Sargent is unconfirmed. And then Alpha Terry, both drivers don't have a contract yet. So we're looking at Sargent, Joe, Hulkenberg, Sonoda, and De Vries. I would say the Alpha Tower seats are probably two of the most in danger. Maybe Sergeants, but I think Williams will see potential in helping a US driver mature mm-hmm. a little bit for the market that that brings to them as a team. Um, I agree. Um, and I can't see Haas getting rid of Hulkenberg right now based on... Yeah. Sense, Where he is, I mean, he's he's ahead of he's ahead of Magnussen in the standings, so mm-hmm. would be a little odd uh, if that's still in the same kind of deficit come the end of the season. Like he's, although it's not huge numbers, it's just down to where he's finished. It's it, it's funny, really, because Magnussen's had more points finishes because he's had two tenths, and Hulkenberg just had the one seventh. But the amount of points it brings has obviously <laughs> leapfrogged him so much higher up. Um, I think the the thing with Hulkenberg is his consistency. Like, if you look at his results, there's quite a solid 15th average there, which, yeah, yeah fair enough, it's not very high, but he's consistently getting as much as he can out of the car. And When you see that kind of consistency, yeah, it kind of just feels like that's what the car can do and he's yeah. doing it. Yeah, and then like other results are kind of fortuitous, I guess. Yeah. Uh, whereas 
Magnuson's sort of got 13th, 10th, 17th, 13th. Like, it's up and down. It's all over the place. And I wouldn't be surprised if I took an average of those. The the average is probably about 15th. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think they'd be silly to get rid of him. So my money is on one or both of the Alpha Tauri drivers and maybe Sergeant, but probably not. That's kind of where I'm at, yeah. I think Joe's doing enough to keep his seat. Sergeant could do with closing the gap to Albon a bit, but I don't I don't think Williams would gain much from swapping him out at this point in time. Not right now, I don't think. The the point that's just been made in the Discord is that with Perez's contract, like we know that Red Bull drivers have a Red Bull contract, not a Red Bull racing contract. So mm-hmm. just because he's got a contract next year doesn't necessarily mean he will be at that team. I still think the talk of him losing his seat is a bit premature, but it's not impossible they want to. But then again, the question is who else they're going to put in that seat. Um, yeah. Which kind of, I don't want to get too much into that because I know what our next question in the inbox is. Um, so yeah, we can maybe leave that there, and or we've got well, the second. Well, half we've of the got we've got well. the second half of the question. Blaze has gone for a two for one. So the other half of Blaze's question was um, with Aston Martin moving to Honda powertrains from um, the near future. Do we think they'll um, be chucking them into the road cars as well? Um, I don't think they will straight away. Um, no, yeah, not an instantaneous thing. You know, if they start running Honda engines and they're having lots of issues with the power units, the last thing they're going to want to do is start trying to sell people road cars with them in. But if, yeah. if it's as successful as I suspect it's going to be, like, yeah, that's a great advert for your cars. Yeah. I think that... I mean, what are the the moment? The, the big V12, is that still a... Is, there is a... There was a rebadged Ford at one point, wasn't there? Yeah. Because of it, when when Ford took over Aston Martin and started stealing all the grills. <laughs> yeah. When when Ford suddenly started looking suspicious of like Aston Martins down the front end, I think that was a transition to Ford based engines, which is what they still use currently, and it's kind of a a Ford base that's then tinkered with and rebadged as an Aston Martin engine. I think could be wrong. Anyone that's into production cars, please feel free to correct me, but I think that's the case. Um, so I guess there's a there's a chance that they might put Honda in there, but Ford, if it is still Ford-based, Ford would probably have something to say about that. Yeah. So I can't, I can't see it being an immediate thing at all, and it looks, I'm so skeptical for... about the long term, to be honest. <laughs> For a very quick bit of research, it looks like the V8s are still Mercedes, but V12s, they're making themselves, I believe. Okay, so maybe that's the thing I am I was thinking of with the Ford rebadging. Yeah. Maybe, they're, maybe they're no longer rebadging Fords and they're all purely Aston now. 
But I might be wrong there, so... Yeah. Production cars are not necessarily our thing when it comes to specifications, no. I'm afraid. We love them, but we don't know them inside out like we do <laughs> other things. And we don't even know things like F1 inside out, to be fair. So <laughs> yeah. that's saying something. I'm going to move on to the next one. Uh, Wes says, Hey, man, had an interesting conversation on Saturday about Danny Rick. Speculation is he's going to take a seat at Alpha Tauri for a season to prove he's worthy of being Max's teammate again. Would an Alpha Tauri seat be a good move? Thoughts? The, yeah, the Red Bull driver situation, as it often is, is strange. So obviously there's question marks around Perez right now. He's going through a, a rough patch of results. The question, of course, is if you did drop him out of Red Bull, be it mid-season, which I think is almost guarantee it's not happen or at the end of the year who do you put alongside Verstappen I don't think either AlphaTauri driver is ready to move up no definitely so having his best season in F1 but that isn't a particularly high bar to cross I think Sonoma's doing a really good job this season he's definitely not Red Bull ready agree De Vries obviously is having his own troubles. He's not going to near that seat. So do you put Danny Rick back in the Red Bull seat? Like, is that a smart move for Red Bull? I don't know if it is. I mean, he's been very much involved with the team this season, hasn't he? Like, he's been at a lot of races. He's he's in all the the sort of outgoing media this season yeah like you would for all intents and purpose you would think that team runs three cars if you if if <laughs> yeah. all you did was watch the red bull racing like youtube and social media content you would be under the impression that this is like you know le mans or something and it's a three driver team you would genuinely think that because pretty much everything's all three of them all the time so <laughs> I can't help but that's them. I can't help, sorry, but think that that's them reintegrating Danny Rick into the team and something may come of it in the not-too-distant future. Whether he'd need to go to Alpha Tower first or whether they just feel the need to... Um, sorry, the the confidence to like kind of get him straight back in the Red Bull if that's what they were choosing to do. I don't feel like Danny Rick's the kind of driver that would need to do a whole season at AlphaTauri to prove that he's still good enough. I think he's proven that over the course of his career so far that if given the opportunity to do so, he could get back in that Red Bull and be, you know, perform with it. I'm not saying he'll be yeah. snapping at Verstappen's heels. I'm saying that he'd be able to perform in it. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I, genuinely, I don't think he would be going to Alpha Tauri because I don't think Red Bull would see the need. I think it's a keep him close until the time comes to to make the move. Um, I don't necessarily think it'd be a bad thing for him, but I don't think it'll you know achieve. I don't think it'll achieve anything. It's like it's just very neutral. Like the car's not good enough for him to. Unless he seriously outperforms that car and starts dragging it into the points on pure talent alone, which he would probably have to 
it's not going to make anyone hold him in any higher esteem than they already do. Like people kind of know where Danny Rick's level is and going to the Alpha Tower and outscoring Sonoda in it is not going to win him any brownie yeah, points that he's not already got. It's not going to prove anything, yeah. Um, I, so it's not a bad thing. I think the only reason it would be a bad thing is if you went to Alpha Tower and couldn't beat Sonoda. Yeah, exactly. And, but that, that would, would surprise me if that was the case. That would ending. Yeah, that would end his chances of getting back in a Red Bull. That, I and do. That, therein lies the risk. Is yeah. You know, would he want to do it based on that risk, for example? I I do think his time at McLaren like bought his stock down. Um, yeah, I, I, to there. say he's now got to prove his worth is probably a bit extreme. But I definitely think that stint has put enough question marks in people's heads that. I, I, you know, his his whole thing this year was like, I'm going to take a year out, get a better opportunity in 2024, because we know he turned down a half seat for this year. Mm. I just can't see where that better opportunity is going to come from, and which quote unquote better teams would want him at this point over the drivers they've got. It's he's he's an enigma, man. It's on his day he's unbeatable, but like. And of course, to get even if they did want to put him back in that second Red Bull seat, he'd be going back to the exact situation he chose to leave. And obviously, a, a lot of years have gone by since then. Him and Max are both very different drivers. But I don't know. It's it's really difficult. I'm the more time goes on, the more I'm struggling to see a way back into F1 for him. To be honest with you. I mean, with a top team, it's difficult, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. I think that everywhere else is too settled with the drivers they have and happy with them. Like, even when you go to like McLaren, I, I can't see McLaren wanting to change things anytime soon. Um, you know, Alpine has been there, done that. I can't see he'd want to go back even if they wanted no. them. But again, they're happy with the drivers they've got. And we're talking midfield teams there at the minute. Like, they're not. Uh, yeah, the the only top tier C I think is ever going to become available for him in the near future or ever is a um, a Red Bull one, and yeah, it's whether or not he wants to sit around and wait for that ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, should the last question? Yeah, let's do the last one. From Childish Sadbino. Uh, hey man, if somehow Stroll loses his seat before 2050, <laughs> do you think he'll be able to get a seat in a different racing series, WEC or others? I would say yes. Like, I mean, there are a number of people who have not been that successful in Formula One and maybe even been deemed not good enough for Formula 1 by many, many a spectator who have gone on to do great things in other series, whether that be Formula E drivers, WEC drivers, like winning Le Mans or winning the overall WEC championship, IndyCar, whatever it might be, there are a plethora of ex-Formula 1 drivers who have gone on to win other championships or at the least compete for them. Um, 
And I think that does, I guess, show why drivers still hold earning an F1 seat with such esteem because when you get there, it just is that hard to perform and compete. And I think that's probably shown by the fact that so many do go on and do so well in other things. It probably does show that that step to Formula One is a little bit unlike any of the others. Um, yeah. I mean, it it goes back to what we were saying a couple of weeks ago after Le Mans. Like, you had Giovinazzi won the race, Brendan Hartley put in some of the most amazing stints. Like, these are both guys who massively struggled in F1, but yeah. they found a home elsewhere and have been really exceptional drivers. And yeah, I definitely... like. Again, for all of the negative around Stroll, you look at his results in all the junior series, and he 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 won stuff. Like he was a good junior series driver. He's he could have a lot to give in other series. And I think I could, Aston Martin are joining the hypercar class. I think in the next few years, if I remember yes, rightly, yes, I believe so. But it's like, like a modification that, of the Valkyrie or something, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, that feels like a way. If if um, Lawrence Stroll finally makes that difficult decision and moves his son out of the team, that feels like how it's going to happen, right? Like they yeah. will sidestep him into another top tier seat outside yeah. of F one. I mean, just going back to I guess the point in general, I'm going to list to you every Formula E champion there's been. <laughs> you you probably know them already, as as do I. But I'm going to list them in yeah. order that they've earned it. Nelson Piquet Jr., ex-Formula 1. Sebastian Buemi, ex-Formula 1. Lucas Degrassi, ex-Formula 1. John-Eric <laughs> Verne, ex-Formula 1. Uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, ex-Red Bull Jr., never quite made it to Formula mm-hmm. 1. Did a few FP sessions, but that's about it, I think. Nick De Vries, wanted to get to F1, never did. Went to FE, won it is now in F1, and uh, <laughs> and, and look at where he is. <laughs> and Stoffel van Dorn, again, ex-F1. Yet they are all world champions within Formula yeah. E. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and it's not, and most of those drivers have been there throughout the entirety of Formula E as well. That's, that's also something else to point out. Like, Verne's been there so long. Um, yeah. Da Costa, Nelson Piquet Jr., like Degrassi, they've they've all been in it more or less every single season, the lot of them. So it just shows how competitive that field is and how high caliber ex-Formula 1 drivers are, even if they never did get anywhere near a podium or, or raced for a back-of-the-pack team or yeah. like an average midfield team at the time. Like There's a, there's a, a 100% a caliber there that as much as we do like poke fun at sort of drivers that don't do that well in Formula One or don't get the performances, there's a there's an undeniable calibre, other than the odd one or two ridiculous pay drivers mentioning no names of recent times, um that, you know, are high caliber drivers that you gotta still have a lot of respect for, regardless of how, you know, unfortunate or how poorly their F1 career went. Yeah. And strolls in that category for for the record. <laughs> <laughs> that that is it now um, for this week. So thank you to everyone who has joined us live uh, through the Patreon access, through Discord, and our recording stuff. So thank you to all of yours. If you'd like to find out how to get involved with that, head to patreon.com 
forward slash back of the grid where there's all the info on how to get involved there. If you'd like to get in touch with us in general, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, all those, all those things. Uh, as a lot of you are aware now, we are on YouTube, so head to YouTube and check out Back of the Grid on there where you can see the video recordings of the podcast and see our wonderful faces to go with these lovely voices each week. Um, hopefully some short-form content more often than not as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all of you that are fans of just scrolling through the reels, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, head to the website as well, backofthegrid.com, where you can contact us the old school way through a form on the website or um, get involved with the Predictions League and our Fantasy Leagues. So that is it for this week, unless Chris has something to add, which it sounds like he may. Don't forget that we lock predictions entries at the start of Q1, which this week is on yes. Friday, not Saturday. So make sure you get them Very in. Very good point. Yes. That is something I almost forgot to mention. Thank you mm-hmm. for reminding me. So yes, at the point Q1 begins is when we lock predictions. So that will be on the Friday this weekend. Um, so make sure you are in there early enough to catch that. Um, I'll tweet a reminder for people as well. Yes, we usually do, just to make sure people are aware. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, But yeah, that is it for this week. So thank you to everyone who's joined us again. Uh, Thank you to you all for listening. And we will see you after the Australian Grand Prix to review it all. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone.